Surprise again. No. <laughs> it happens every time. No. So anyway, good morning. All right. We awake today? Because we have, eh, some of us are a little less awake than others, but we have an awesome passage of scripture today. Um, my wife, if she was here this morning, she's teaching, she will tell you that um, I was up pacing most of the night. Um, I get like a, uh, like a caged lion sometimes. Some of you have seen Mike Shaw preach and he's, you know, he's up here and he's going back and forth and he's, you know, that's, that's kind of me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to bring the word to you this morning. Um, but I'd like to uh, start off with uh, a story. Um, from my past. Uh, so the first church that I had the opportunity to minister in uh, was in a, a small town called Maple Shade, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coach knows. Um, so uh, Maple Shade, New Jersey, and I had the privilege of ministering with an individual who um, is just a little bundle of, of energy. Um, his name is, is Vince McDonald. And uh, back in the early 2000s, the the late 90s, uh, there was a diet craze that was just sweeping the nation. Uh, the diet had actually come out in like the 60s or the 70s by uh, a certain man, and that man's name was Atkins, the Atkins diet, right? Now, the Atkins diet has a lot of rules to it, a lot of things that, you know, for me personally, I don't know that, that you know, if, if I ever was forced to go on to an Atkins diet, that I could, I could survive. Um, and Vince was the same way. So, uh, so Vince got up there, and he's, he's talking, and he's talking about the Atkins diet, and, uh, you know, he's, he's talking about how tough it is, and, and how, much it you know, how much of a struggle it would be for him. You can't have, you know, carbonated, sugary beverages. Um, you know, you have to watch your carbs at, like, Every turn, there's no pasta, which was huge for him, that he could eat. And then the worst, the killer, the absolute death sentence for either Vince or I would be the fact that bread is pretty much out. Like it's out. Somebody's opening a carbonated beverage right now. I'm excited. Um, but bread is out. You can't have bread. So Vince got up there um, this Sunday, and he was, he was speaking on this, and he said, he says, hey, uh, I, got a, I, got a new, I got a new diet, new diet coming out. I call it the, the Snicta Hallelujah diet. And he says, Snicta Hallelujah, it's great. It's, it's, it's the best thing you'll ever do. It's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, according to this diet, all bread, all the time. All bread, all the time. And Vince was super excited about this. Now, basically, he just took the word Atkins and made it backwards um, and did everything backwards from the Atkins diet. But Vince loved bread, and bread was the most important thing to him. So I had an illustration this morning that I was going to do with you guys, and I got two types of bread here. And this one's open, and it's okay that it's open. Um, but I got two types of bread here. And, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of moved from the Atkins diet to another diet called the keto diet. And I was going to have a taste test. I was going to have you guys come up and do a taste test this morning. But I felt like I should taste this bread first. 
Um, and there's some unique things about this bread, I will tell you. Um, it is lower carb, okay? It's lower carb. How much lower? Not really that much. It's about three grams less than good old-fashioned, the whiter your bread, the faster you're dead, you know, wonder bread here, right? <laughs> it's about three grams. So I, I take this slice of bread, and I'm like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. It's bread. How, how bad could it be, you know? So I take this piece, and I, the first thing I do is I kind of try to stretch it a little bit, like to see what the consistency is, and I got to tell you, like sometimes I have to hand wash dishes, like this thing is a sponge, like it is, it is dense, I mean this is, this is a heavy, you know, it's a heavy bread, like I mean it is, it is serious, so I'm like all right, I'll try it, so I rip a piece off and it kind of makes a noise, you know, when you rip it, like kind of like when you break a, uh, anybody ever break a York peppermint patty? Like, uh, if you've never broken, there you go. If you've never broken a York peppermint patty, every time I have one, I just, I break it, and it's like, psh, you know. That's what the bread sounds like. Um, but it's spongy. So I eat the thing, and I'm like, yeah, it's not bad. But then kind of like diet soda, like there's this, like, aftertaste to it. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's not real pleasant. And the aftertaste is not going away. And then I realize, like, my tongue kind of feels strange, and now my lips are tingling a bit, um, and I, you know, I have an Aaron Rodgers moment. Like, I, I think I'm having an allergic reaction to, you know, to the, to the bread here. Uh, the bread, you know, if I would, I think if I would have ate two or three slices, I might have died um, at that point. Um, but, you know, I, I had some sort of allergic reaction to the bread, so I decided, listen, not a, not a great... Um, analogy to have somebody come up here and have us have to rush up with Benadryl and, uh, and do that. Um, the other differences between the bread are not just, uh, not just, you know, carbs and taste and texture and all of those things. The price difference in these two. Uh, anybody know how much a loaf of Wonder Bread costs? 99 cents? Sometimes you can get it for 99. I, I didn't get a sale though and I didn't use my, oh, I didn't use my wife's store card um, either. Um, I actually paid two fifty dollars for it. I probably overpaid. Um, the keto bread, take a guess. How much? Price is right. We're doing the prices right this morning. Five bucks? Higher. How much was it? Higher. It was $6.99. You had it? Oh my goodness. That's expensive bread. Like, we complain about gas prices and things like that. Like, that's expensive. These Atkins bars, too, they're not cheap. Like, you know, Atkins must be a multi-billionaire, you know, by now with, with putting his name on everything. Um, but it's not, it's not cheap. It's expensive. So this morning, we are going to look at uh, Jesus' continued conversation with uh, a group of uh, individuals. Um, Pastor Stephen uh, preached last week, and he started the conversation that Jesus has with these individuals. And Jesus makes a statement. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. That if you eat of this bread, you will never hunger. If you drink of his blood, you will never thirst again. 
And that's a pretty bold statement to be speaking to, to these Jews here. Um, so he, uh, he also has just fed the 5,000. Um, at the beginning of chapter 6, he's walked on water. After uh, feeding the 5,000, word is spreading. They are seeking to find him. They find him in Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum, a town that Jesus would move to. Um, we learn in Matthew that after his temptation um, and after John the Baptist is, is arrested, that Jesus actually moves to Capernaum, which is right on the Sea of Galilee. Um, people are familiar with him there. We're going to see that this morning. And he starts his public ministry. He proclaims the fact that he is the bread of life, and he comes down from the Father to do the will of him who sent him. And that's where we pick up here. We're going to see the response of the people to Jesus' statement that he is the bread of life. And last week we saw that Jesus is the, is the only thing that will truly satisfy. This week, our big idea is that God sent Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice that brings eternal life. God sent Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice that brings eternal life. We have a couple D's that we're going to look at here. We're going to jump right into, uh, into the word here. But our first D is the discussion that these Jewish individuals are going to have amongst themselves. So in verse 41 it says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? So right off the bat, they've heard Jesus say, I am the bread of life who comes down from heaven, and they are not happy about that statement. They begin to grumble with one another. Now, the, uh, the people of God have never been grumblers, right? I mean, they've never been complainers. Never once in Scripture has it been mentioned that the people of God grumble. And obviously I'm being sarcastic to a bit. But they grumble in the desert, right? They come out in the desert and they say, Moses, uh, you, you know, you brought us out to the desert for us to die? We don't have any food. So they grumble and what does God do? God gives them manna to eat. And they continually grumble and grumble and grumble. One of the uh, neat things about Exodus 16 where at first we first see the manna coming down from heaven. Um, is it, it's a very small phrase, but uh, they begin to grumble as they enter the wilderness of, does anybody know what the wilderness is called? Sin. The wilderness of sin. They begin to grumble. Exodus 16. Because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know how does he say, I have come down from heaven? These Jews have an issue right off the bat. They're saying, listen, wait a minute. Jesus, you're saying you came down from heaven. But we know for a fact that your parents are Joseph and Mary. We know them, okay? We've seen them. We've interacted with them. We don't know how well they know them. Okay, we don't know if, if this, this opposition to, uh, to Jesus here, 
we don't know if, um, if they know them like, oh yeah, they, they live down the street. Or if, or if they know them like, oh yeah, Joseph, he, he built me a table. And you know, Mary, uh, she's, she's nice enough. You know, she gets, a little, she gets a little pushy when it comes to, you know, wine running out of weddings, uh, you know, and, and things like that. But hey, she's, she's a, nice enough, a nice enough person. We know who they are. Jesus is making a different statement here. He's saying, I have come down from heaven. And we're going to see this, this tension between the opposition and Jesus. If you look at your handout this morning, we have the discussion here. It's our first D in verses 41 through 52. And we have three questions that we're going to answer. And we're going to kind of fill in these blanks together. But the three questions that we have is, where has Jesus come from? Where did manna come from? And where does truth come from? And some of these answers we already know. Jesus has already said last week where manna came from. Manna came, it was sent from the Father down from heaven. So you can fill that one in there. It was sent from the Father down from heaven. Jesus here makes a statement. So Jesus says where he has come from. He says, I am sent from the Father down from heaven. Sent from the Father, down from heaven. The opposition, though, has a different perspective. The opposition says, no, 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 you didn't come down from heaven. You weren't sent from that Father. You were sent from your earthly Father, from Joseph and Mary. So that's where the opposition says that Jesus has has come from here. We pick it up in verse 43. Jesus answered and said, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, Except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Jesus makes a statement here to these individuals. And it's so subtle, but it's so revealing. Jesus answered them and said, do not grumble where? Among yourselves. For the opposition... The truth about Jesus, the truth about manna, the truth about truth, it comes from among themselves. See, their wisdom is earthly wisdom. Their things, their eyes are set on the things that they can see and observe. And they say, Jesus, we didn't see you come down from heaven. We saw that you have a mother and a father. So that's the truth that we are going to choose. Verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him in, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. 
Where does Jesus say that truth comes from? Sent from the Father, down from heaven. That is where truth comes from. Sent from the Father, down from heaven. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, Jesus quotes uh, an Old Testament prophet here. He's quoting Isaiah. Isaiah 54, uh, 13. Um, Jeremiah would expound on this. If you turn with me to Jeremiah 31 through 34 here. I'm sorry, 31, uh, 31 through 34. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, Jeremiah says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I have made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand, bringing them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and say to his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Remember, guys, he's talking to Jewish individuals here who had the prophets. They had the law. What Jesus is saying here right now is truth comes from the Father. Not only comes from the Father, but there will be a day where God writes on people's hearts. They'll have no need to grumble among themselves. They'll have no need to teach each other. I will teach them. They will be my people. Jesus is telling them flat out, you guys are looking at everything wrong. You guys are so focused on the here and now, you can't see what's really happening. He goes on in verse 46 and he says, Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, He has seen the Father. Who is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about himself. He's saying, listen, you guys, you haven't come from the Father. I have come from the Father. I have truth. What the Father knows, I know. What the Father does, I do. You guys go back and look at everything that we've studied in John. This is the, one of the main points that John is trying to convince people of. That the Son came from the Father. The Son can do nothing except what the Father does. This is one of Jesus' main points to these people. I have authority. I've been given it. It is mine. All authority has been given to me. Because I know the Father. I have seen the Father. It's almost like John here is setting up for like this major statement here throughout his entire book. I mean, if you look at our, our little, you know, our little chart here, 
Maybe next to each question here. Where is Jesus come from? Why don't you write the word way right next to it? Where does truth come from? Well, you can write truth right next to the words there. Truth. And then what is the bread that Jesus gives? What does it do? What does it give? Life. I mean, it's like John at some point is going to, you know, record the words of Jesus saying that, like, I don't know, maybe I am the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except by me. I mean, you guys heard it this morning. We're going to read the fact that no one, no one can figure out God through their own understanding. That God draws people in. That he calls people. It is not by your own striving. It is not by your own understanding. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Stephen Page and I, um, we, uh, we went to um, a movie this week with a couple of other individuals. Zach was there, John was there. Um, and Ryan Shupp was there, and we had, we had a great time. Um, we saw a, uh, like a sci-fi type movie, and um, Stephen leaned over to me at one point during the movie, and they were talking about these, like, suits that they had to wear. Like, you know, they couldn't survive on this, like, alien planet unless they were wearing, like, this suit. And they were very specific about, like, the time, like, the amount of oxygen that you would have on, you know, on this. And uh, Stephen Page leaned over to me and he said, um, hey, I'll bet that they get stranded on this, you know, on this thing at some point. And like time is an issue. Like, you know, there's, there's something that's going on here. And the reason Stephen did that is because it's a story. And we understand from watching and reading stories that there are clues that our author drops ahead of time so that we can see the fullness of the story. Guys, my encouragement to you this week is to go back in John. Read the first six chapters again. Re-listen to all of the sermons that we've preached here. John is definitely weaving these little nuggets into the story. We've already talked about a few of them. The fact that Jesus is sent from God. We're going to look more in depth in a, uh, in a few, of the, uh, few of them here. Um, but verse 47 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Your second point there. Your second point is the diet. The diet. You can write diet in there. And we see in, these, in this passage here that Jesus is going to compare and contrast two different things. He's going to compare and contrast his own flesh. You can write that next to Jesus. And 
manna. I got him. He's in there. I'm going to leave him in with the bread. That fly that's been flying around, he is in there. Sorry. Didn't mean to distract you guys. I just, I hate that fly. Um, Anyway. Squirrel. Um, But diet, diet, diet. We're getting back to this diet. Jesus says that I am the bread of life. Go right to your, your, uh, your little chart here. We're just going to fill this in real quick. Needs, manna, for the people of Israel. They thought it fulfilled a physical need for them. That they were hungry in the wilderness, that they were going to die. It fulfilled a physical need for them. Jesus' flesh, though, completely different. Jesus' flesh gives life. A spiritual Life. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more as we talk about the words that Jesus gives. But Jesus gives a spiritual life. Longevity. The manna was temporal. You guys remember the story of the manna? They would go out every morning and they would gather it. They had to gather it before the heat of the day because it would disappear. On Saturdays, they were to gather twice as much. Because on Sunday there was, or I'm sorry, on Fridays they were, sorry, messed up there. Uh, on Fridays they were to gather twice as much because of the Sabbath. There wasn't any on Saturday. What happened on the other days if they were to keep it, try to keep it overnight? Rot it, right? It stank. There were worms. Nobody wanted it. You got rid of it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Turn with me there. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to geek out a little bit here um, and talk about Jesus being bread here um, in a second. But Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. This is interesting what, um, what we learn here about the, uh, the people of Israel and what God was actually doing with the manna. The whole commandment, That I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go on to possess the land that the Lord will give to you and your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Anywhere else in scripture that this is quoted? Temptation, right? Temptation of Christ. What Moses reveals to the people here is, hey, you thought, you thought you were being sustained by the manna. You thought that your physical comfort was the goal of that manna. It wasn't the goal of the manna. The goal of the manna was obedience to the word of God. That was the goal. 
that you would collect it as you should, that you would fully rely on the power of God, that you would rely on God for your most basic of needs, hunger, that he would turn your hearts to him, that you would humble yourselves. What Jesus is dealing with here are the same people. Unfortunately, what we find is that the people of God from the time of the Exodus to the time of today have not learned a whole lot. They're still the same people. They're still the same people. Longevity, the manna was temporal. Jesus' flesh that he will give for the life of the world is eternal. The result needed manna? Their fathers died. They died. But he who eats of Jesus' flesh has life forever. Manna? Manna was one of those things that God dropped. A clue that God dropped. Do you realize that in the greater story of the Bible, when God gave them manna in the wilderness, when God placed that manna on the ground there that came down from heaven, he knew that Jesus would be having this conversation. He knew that this conversation was going to be recorded in Scripture and we'd be talking about it this morning. See, God's plan is perfect. There are no surprises. There are no strange turns in here. Jesus says in verse 49, Your fathers. I think Jesus is making a distinction here. He's already talked about his father. They already think they know who Jesus' father really is, Joseph. I think he's making a distinction here. Because he's going to say in a second that his father is the living father. The father that gives life. He says, your fathers, you guys who grumble together, you talk together, you guys who observe all of these things and think you have it figured out, guess what? Your result is your fathers have died. And you are following in their footsteps. There has to be something different. There has to be a better plan. And Jesus is saying, I am the better plan. I am the bread of life. I am the plan. But you're willing to settle for what you think you know. Your father's. Not his father. Interesting side note here. About bread. Um, when I came to know Christ, uh, I came to know Christ in a church that was just transitioning from the KJV to the NIV, right? The NIV. We went New King James for a little bit, you know, but we were, we were NIV, right? We were NIV people. But I remember in the King James, there was a phrase that was used in the Old Testament. And that phrase was called showbread. Does anybody remember showbread in the Old Testament? It was this bread that was, um, that was continually in the tabernacle. It was 12 loaves. Uh, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 24 here. Leviticus chapter 24. We're going to start reading in verse 5. 
way at the beginning of the Bible here. Here's the instruction. Chapter 5. You shall take fine flour and bake twelve loaves from it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. So it was in the tabernacle. It was placed in two piles. And then verse 7. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile. You shall put pure frankincense on each pile that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. It shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall do what? Eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offering, a perpetual due. Any words jump out at you there? Maybe the word frankincense? Is that anywhere else in the Bible? What did the wise men bring Jesus? Frankincense in a town called Bethlehem. Anybody know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. Guys, this story that God is weaving together is perfect. It's amazing. There is no difference. There is no different story. There's no different God in the New Testament. God was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is knit together wonderfully here. Jesus comes to these people and he says, I am the bread. As your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness, as the showbread was put out here, I am from the house of bread. I am the bread of life. Just a side note. Verse 52. I'm disorganized. I just throw things. They're out of the way. Verse 52 in John chapter 6. That's where we're at, right? Thank you. Uh, Verse 52. Verse 52. (laughs) Then the Jews disputed among themselves... How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. Moreover, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. We could have the worship team come up. 
No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. So, uh, listen, this is, the, uh, this is the next D here. Um, this is the difficult saying, okay? This is the difficult saying that Jesus is going to tackle here. Now, there was some uh, misunderstanding a little bit. Uh, I actually thought I was preaching. This was several weeks ago, but we kind of worked it out. Um, I, I thought I was preaching on the 14th, and when I saw this passage was on the 7th on, on Pastor Stephen's schedule, I was like, man, I am glad that I do not have to preach this passage here. I mean, hey, you, you kind of get a pass here. Anytime a passage actually says that it's a hard saying, it's like, okay, good. Like, at least I'm not, at least I'm not crazy. Um, at least I'm not uh, whatever. Um, I was, uh, when I found out that I was preaching on the 7th, I was actually convinced for a half a second that uh, Pastor Stephen was paying Hannah to not have the baby so that I would have to preach this. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here today and, and we're going we're gonna to work through this. All right, we're going to work through this together because, again, it is a difficult saying. This saying that Jesus says is right up there with Another saying that he's already said to Nicodemus. Another hard saying, another difficult saying. He says to Nicodemus that you must be born again. And where does Nicodemus' mind go? Well, to being physically born again, which is a difficult thing to think about. Jesus here says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, which is a difficult thing to think about. So let's walk through this together and let's walk it backwards here. Two things in these verses that Jesus is not saying. Let's get those out of the way right off the bat. Jesus is not promoting cannibalism. Okay? Easy one. I mean, that was, that was low-hanging fruit right there. Okay? That's, that's something we can say with with absolute certainty that Jesus was not promoting cannibalism here. The other thing that Jesus is saying is that one, a person, uh, a person, is that a person cannot obtain eternal life just by participating in communion. So in other words, um, I don't know, somebody wanders in off the street, and let's say we were to do communion this morning, and they just, they don't really know what's going on, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, we eat of the flesh, drink of the blood, boom, we're saved. We know Jesus. We have eternal life because we've participated. Not what Jesus is saying here. Two easy things. So let's ask a couple of good questions here, and we talk about this at times. We call it traveling instructions. We have to figure out what exactly is going on here? And the best way to do that is to ask some good questions. First of all, the best question we can ask is, what does this mean? Right? That's what we want to find out. What does this mean? So the first question I would like to ask after that is, does Jesus, does the audience that Jesus is speaking to know that God's plan is to sacrifice his son? The individuals that Jesus is speaking to. And we think about the story of John here. Has John revealed to us that they have the knowledge that the Son of Man was to come and die for their sins? 
I think the answer that we have to come to is, is no, especially according to this, this passage here and the passages previous to this. What did they just try to do to Jesus? They tried to make him king. They were like, dude, he gives us bread. This is awesome. He's going to be our king. Come on, let's make him king. You don't make somebody king whose plan it is for them to ultimately die and leave. I don't think they understand that God's plan was to sacrifice the son. How about the reader? The person reading this passage of scripture. Do they know the plan is? What the plan is? Well, that depends. Let's look at John chapter 2, verse 18. John chapter 2, verse 18. If they're paying attention, they should know. Oh, this is really small print. I didn't print this one out. For those of you who don't know that um, I, I was educated when I was reading in the city of Philadelphia, and I can't read. So, uh, you know, when it comes to really small print, I, I, have a, I have a problem here. But John 2, verse 18. So Jesus said to him, what sign, I'm sorry, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build the temple, and you will raise it up in three days? Again, the reader, or the, the original people that Jesus is speaking to, they don't understand. They're like, 46 years, man! You could do it in three? That's insane. Three days? Like three? No, you can't. You can't do it in three days. Continues on. Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now it doesn't flat out say that Jesus is going to be handed over to the leaders and everything, but it does say that Jesus is going to be raised from the dead. It does say that the temple is going to be destroyed. That somehow his body is going to be destroyed. See, to the original listeners, they haven't seen this. But to the readers here, John is dropping these explanations in here for us. So that when we come to this difficult saying here, we have a context to be able to draw from. He says the disciples who believed didn't understand this saying until after the resurrection. See, there's more to the story. That there's people who are listening right now that don't understand. Where does understanding come from? Where does truth come from? Sent from the Father, down from heaven. That's where it comes The original reader might know. Uh, another interesting point, another reason that they might know. Does anybody know um, what the first words that are spoken about Jesus by a human being are in the Gospel of John? 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist knew that there was a sacrifice coming. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The next D in our little handout here is the difficult saying, but we're going to break down two different things. We're going to look at Old Testament sacrifices and we're going to look at the perfect sacrifice here. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit real quick, but there's a point that I want to make in this. And for the sake of time, we're going to skip a few things, but the major point that I want to emphasize here is that if you look at these sacrifices of the Old Testament, we're not going to turn back to Leviticus again, but if you were to look at what happened during those sacrifices, either an animal, grain, wine, something was given to the Lord. And sometimes all of it was given to the Lord as a sacrifice, as an atonement for a specific sin, a trespass. Sometimes it was given as a peace offering. Sometimes it was given as an offering of thankfulness. Sometimes it was just given as a free will offering. Like, God, you're great. I'm sacrificing to you. But all but one of those sacrifices, after the sacrifice was done, all except for the burnt sacrifice, which everything was burnt up. Either the priests or the priests and the individual who brought the sacrifice were to eat of a portion of the sacrifice. What Jesus is trying to show the opposition here, these Jews, is that you should not be concerned, you should not be offended. I have told you what sacrifice is, what it looks like. That you take a, uh, an animal or you take grain or you take wine and you sacrifice it and then there is a participation most of the time from the individual. That there is an eating of the flesh. There is a communion that happens in the sacrifice. Turn with me to Hebrews for more on this, guys. Hebrews 8 through Hebrews 10. If you have time this week, read Hebrews 8 through Hebrews 10, but we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 9 in verse 11. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. In other words, Jesus was not created. Um, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. Thus, securing what? Eternal redemption, not a temporary redemption. Redemption, eternal redemption for the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works 
to serve the living God. Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice. When Jesus is going through this difficult saying here, this difficult saying, so Jesus said, truly, truly, unless you eat of my flesh of the Son of Man and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. Jesus is saying flat out, listen, the Old Testament, the things that happened in the Old Testament, they were a shadow of things to come. The true sacrifice is here and standing before you. My flesh I freely give as an offering for the life of the world. And Jesus says all of this and ends with the statement, whoever eats and drinks will have life forever. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this is it. When Jesus comes and says, I am the bread of life, I give my flesh as a sacrifice. If this saying is too hard for you, if it's too difficult for you to understand, you have no part. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, the great thing about what I do up here has already been, has already been stated in this passage. My job is just to bring the word. It's not to convince you. It's not to come up with some cool argument that Jesus Christ is the bread of life, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him, that the alternative is eternal separation from God, sin, death, torment, and hell forever. My job is not to convince you. My job is to bring the word. Guess what that God does? God draws you in through his word. Friend, if you're here and you don't know Christ today, accept the perfect sacrifice. Accept the sacrifice that Jesus is going to make at the end of this story here. Accept the fact that God has divinely appointed throughout time that Jesus should come and suffer and die for the sins of the world. Our last D here, the decision. And here's where it gets really difficult. When his disciples, in verse 60, and then many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Jesus saying, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, it offended them. This word hard not only means difficult, hard, it can also mean vulgar, crude, offensive, this was something that offended them to their core. They were like, this is gross. It's disgusting. This offends me. How could you say it? Verse 61 says, but Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this is key to understanding exactly what's going on here. This is not the first time that Jesus has said this. Remember at the end of the 
at the end of the, um, the wedding at, at Capernaum, uh, or, I'm sorry, the wedding at Cana, um, when Jesus did these works and many believed in him, and Jesus says that he did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in man. Nothing surprises Jesus. Nothing catches him off guard. Okay? A, a mass exodus is about to happen in his disciples. People are going to leave. We're going to find that out in a second. Jesus is not shaken by this. He's not talking to the Jews and all of a sudden he perceives a grumbling behind him and he's like, you grumbling too? Like, what did I say? Did I say something wrong? That's not Jesus' attitude here. He turns and looks at them and he says, do you take offense at this? He says, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Guys, let's go back. What did these people want to do just a few chapters ago? Make him king. Does Jesus know that they're going to leave? Absolutely he knows they're going to leave. You know what Jesus says? What if you see me leave? (laughs) What if you see me leave? What are you going to do? Jesus preemptive strikes to leave. He's like, you're not hanging up on me. I'm hanging up now. Um, you know, but he's, you know, he, he preemptive strikes it here. He says, what if I'm not here anymore? Oh, you take offense to this? What I'm saying to you right now, physically, the words that are coming out of my mouth, what I'm saying, it offends you? What are you going to do when I'm gone? Verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless granted to him by the Father. Listen, Jesus is not surprised by this. This is not a mass exodus. This is not a mutiny. Remember, guys, in the beginning of the Gospel of John, John gives us this whole section of exactly what Jesus, what's going to happen to Jesus. That Jesus is not from this world. He comes into this world. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus came to his people and his people did not receive him. Jesus knows all of this is going to happen. You know, in our, in our own human ego as, as pastors sometimes, there's this, there's this tendency uh, if, if people aren't here. It happened to me this morning, guys, okay? We, we started this morning, and like when it was like 10 o'clock, there wasn't anybody here. Like it wasn't. Like it was, it was empty. Like in my heart as a pastor here speaking this morning, I was like, nobody's going to be here. I was like, nobody came today. Nobody came today, and I was, I was kind of freaking out a little bit. Jesus doesn't freak out. Jesus says, listen, I know. I know you're going to go. You were never called in the first place. You were never here. Jesus tells them flat out, my flesh 
will not dwell with you forever. But my word and the Spirit will. Believer, this morning, this is our encouragement. Even though Christ's flesh is given as a sacrifice that will bring eternal life, his word and his spirit dwell with us forever. Something no man can kill, something no man can take away is with us. The power of Christ is inside of us. It is working through us if we have been called by the Father. We can do tremendous works because we know the one who created this world. Because he has called us to himself. Believer, Jesus will not abandon you. He will not. He says here, I'm not going to be around forever. You're going to see me ascend to where I came from. That'll be proof. Nothing surprises Jesus. Nothing derails the mission. Jesus knows the hearts of man. Verse 66 After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They're gone. They left. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Be careful how you read this. This is not a defeated man. Jesus isn't looking around and saying, oh man, we had, you know, 10,000 people. Now we're down to like, 400, turns around, looks at the 12 and says, well, should we pack it up? Should we pack it in? Should we all just go home? Do you want to leave as well? That's not how Jesus is saying this. Jesus turns to them and says, do you want to go as well? He says this much in the same way that we started chapter 6. To test them. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 8? The manna wasn't physical. It wasn't just to fulfill a physical need. It was to humble them to obedience. Verse 68, then Simon Peter, thank God for you Peter, (laughs) then Simon Peter answered him, Lord to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you? There are other times in Scripture where Jesus flat out turns to, uh, to Peter and he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is another one of those moments. Peter says, listen, we can't go anywhere else. You have the words of eternal life. We are completely satisfied, as we learned last week. We are completely satisfied in you. Jesus, it's not about the bread. It's not about the signs. It's not about how many people will follow you. It's not about how many setbacks that you're going to have. We are going to follow 
Because you have the words of eternal life. Because you, Jesus, were sent from the Father down from heaven. Because you, Jesus, give true life. You are the bread. And no one comes to the Father except from you. Because you have been with the Father. Because you have seen the Father. And truth comes from you. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus answered, did I not choose you? Jesus is teaching them a great truth here. You may think that you believe, and that's true. But remember, the Father drew you, and I chose you. And then just to hammer the point home even more, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he one of the twelve was going to betray him. I will leave you with this today as the worship team comes up. Again, the plan sometimes is a difficult plan. Sometimes the plan doesn't make sense. Jesus says a hard saying here. And then John ends this passage with an ominous tone. That Jesus chose 12. Jesus made the decision. God called 12 to follow. And one of them is the devil. Again, I will reiterate this. Nothing is out of Jesus' hands. Jesus is not surprised when Judas betrays him. This week, in addition to reading Hebrews chapter 8 through 10, Take a peek at John chapter 13 and, 16, uh, 13 and 14. Read it alongside of this passage and look at the parallels. Look at Jesus interacting with his disciples, what he says to them, how they have grown. It is amazing. God's word is a perfect story. Jesus Christ was sent from God to be the, etern- to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and for us to receive eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just thank you for your word. God, I thank you for blessing us each day, God, with another day. God, there are troubles that that day finds. Lord, there are issues. God, there are hard teachings and hard sayings. Lord, but you continue to draw us. You continue to call us in. God, I pray, Lord, that as the testing happens, Lord, that we would be found obedient. God, through your power, walking, abiding in you, as your word says, Lord, as we eat your flesh and we drink your blood, God, that we abide in you. Lord, that we have communion with you, God. Lord, that you are the one sent from God to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. God, that it is not by our own striving, not by the will of men, but it is by your power that we enter eternal life. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. God, if there is an individual here today, Lord, who does not know you, 
my prayer for them, if you are drawing them in, that they would not let the sun set on this day. God, that they would come to you. Lord, that they would surrender their way of thinking about things, what they have observed. God, and listen to what truth you are teaching. Even if it's hard. Even if it's difficult. Even if no one would choose it. Having one of your closest friends betray you. God, you are in control. God, you know all things and you know our heart. Draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.